welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. The Old Testament, because when you see him in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, I was telling Bree said, I could lead somebody to Christ and not even open the New Testament. Like, this is just how much when you see him, when you see the Lord, when you see Christ, that he's not just shows up miraculously in a manger, but the Lord, the God-man, is working and is the point of all of Scripture. He's not just one little part that we see at a cross, but it is his life. This is why Paul says all of wisdom can be summed up as Christ and him crucified. And so when you stand in all of that, all wisdom, all blessing, all power, and all praise comes alive in you. And my heart is, is that we would never allow the person of Jesus to get old, to get boring. He only comes around Good Friday and Easter. But the whole purpose of this life is that we image him more fully, more beautifully, more powerfully in every and all part of our lives. And if you're not content with growing, when you look at him, all you want to do is be more like him when you behold him. If you lift your hands before we open the word, posture is everything. Yieldedness, this is why we do this. That we don't treat the reading of your holy scripture is mediocre. Jesus, we reject mediocrity. We reject complacency when it comes to church, when it comes to the scriptures, the word, the raising of our children in the scriptures. Father, we reject it. And we say, come Lord Jesus, have your way. You're the one who fills all things with yourself. So with lifted hands, fill us with Jesus. The presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. We thank you for this grace, this sound, this same God who moved in the scriptures is moving in this place today. We thank you, Jesus, and we look to you. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Worship team, thank you. I love their sensitivity to flow where they feel the Lord is leading them. And shout out to Dustin on his first Sunday so far on the sound, doing a great job back there. Everett, your prodigy has risen to the occasion today. It's a great day when the sound guy is on the second row and not in the last row today. He's getting a break. But I'm so thankful for all those who serve here in the church and make all of this possible. And you come to church in negative temperatures today. It's warm in here, thank God. And it's not just warm with some good HVAC running, but you're gonna get warmed up with meeting Jesus today as well. Well, if you bring me down just a little bit, I always feel like I'm yelling. Then you can slowly start bringing me up where I get more used to the sound of my voice, I guess. But this has been an exciting season, and we just cracked open our first men's Bible study, and close to 20 guys showed up, and we just got right into the scriptures, and we studied right here. And, uh, you know, as we move forward in strength and in maturity, it can never be absent of maturity and strength in the scriptures. When God begins to do something in a church or do something in a, in a house or a place like this. We don't want it to be void of understanding how he always moves in the scriptures. We're gonna see today when the Lord began to move in God's people in the time of Moses. Many of us, we want a move of God, right? We want God to move. But what does that movement look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? And the beauty of when Jesus begins to move in your life or in a church is you don't have to guess or you don't have to just try to manipulate something for God to move. 
And that's something we want to always and forever be cautious of is we're never going to manipulate you into thinking God's doing something when he's not. And it takes a lot of patience and allowing him to do it, essentially getting out of the way and allowing him to move. And many of us, we got to get past ourselves. we got to get past our own expectations. we got to get past our own pride and allow Jesus to stay enthroned in our lives. And so as we've been looking at this, and Nadia, if you would put up Hebrews 1, this has really been the heart of when we understand when we approach the scriptures is you can open up the pages of your Bible, but it's only Jesus who opens the word. And so when we behold Jesus in the scriptures, there is a depth of God that comes alive in you when you can rightfully see him. And this is my heart as your pastor is that you see him everywhere because he fills all things. So if I can be, do a little Sherlock Holmes work for you and get you to see where he's at, then I just gotta get out of the way and then you stand in all of him and his power touches you his blessing touches you, his honor touches you. But understand that as you come into God's house today, God is not obligated to give you something. It's actually the other way around. We bring a sacrifice of praise to him. And this is what's hard for a lot of people is that there's contingencies when it comes to meeting with God. You know, we hear the scriptures, we boldly approach the throne room of grace, and we do. But when you get in that place, you don't know what you're doing, then you're going to hit a miss. And so as we look at Hebrews 1, this is what I love is it sets the stage for Hebrews. And it can be summed up this way. What you're reading is the Father's only sermon is Jesus. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoken past to the fathers and by the prophets. If you actually put verse 2 in there, Nadia, as you go on in, as you read, it says that In these last days, he has spoken to us by the Son. So if you want to know what the Father, what the Lord, what God wants to talk to you about, he wants to talk about Jesus. He wants to talk about the Son. When God speaks, the audible voice of God comes and it shows up in the person, or when the dove descends at Christ's baptism, what does the Father say? It's all about Jesus, that this is my beloved Son, and whom I'm well pleased. So Hebrews tells us that if you need a word, if you need life, if you need to understand the word, that it's through Jesus. And where I'm tr- I want to get your head as we get into the Old Testament and where we've been in cultivating the love for the scriptures is that you just don't see God. Kind of this vague or I watched the Prince of Egypt when I was young on a VHS and I kind of got my perception of God come on Prince of Egypt is still it's all there still that movie will live on forever just the soundtrack in your head someone felt the Holy Spirit over there (laughs) but what I want you to see is that God has a face God has a sound he is a person and it's revealed in Jesus and he is obsessed he is fascinated with you getting to know the son. We looked at um, John eight fifty six through 58. And you can go and read that and, and revisit some of these messages in the series. But as Jesus is standing in front of the religious leaders of his day and of his time, they're trying to give him the out to step away, to back off of his claim that he is God, that he is Yahweh. And Jesus presses all in. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. So he's claiming that same place. The same God's seen at the burning bush, Jesus is saying, you're looking right at him. Before Abraham was, I am. In this song, we sing the same God, the same God we see in the New Testament, the same God who is here today is the same God who was there in the scriptures. And in cultivating love for scripture, when you see Jesus and it gets a little more personal to you and he becomes more real to you, then you're gonna see tough places in the Old Testament that you're like, well, that's just old, that's done away with, but you gotta understand it's all pointing to him, it's all about him, and it's all for him. And you'll find a deeper place with him in it. And so, 
I want us to turn to Hebrews 11.24. And Dustin, you can bring the lights off. It is a little hot in here. I'm not going to let you go to sleep. We'll open the doors and let the cold air blow through. That's love. All right. So we see in the Hall of Faith chapter when it mentions Moses, it speaks of what we're talking of today. So in this Hall of Faith, we see where it speaks of Moses, who we're going to look at today. It says, by faith Moses, when he became of age, so it's talking at the beginning of his call, the beginning of, if you want to call it the beginning of Moses' ministry, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Of who? I thought this was Moses. A thousand years before Christ, hundreds of years before Christ would even come on the scene. So the writer of Hebrews is bringing, who is he esteeming? The reproach of Christ. Greater than what? Greater than riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Another, if I can say, this is, might be a little bit of a rabbit trail, but when you look to the age to come, when you leave your body and you spend eternity with Jesus, you gotta be very careful that you don't sensualize all of an immaterial Western mindset of all this stuff I'll get. But even as Moses says, the greatest reward is Christ. And we start there and we don't try to fit other stuff into that. So this is amazing that the writer of Hebrews, we believe is Paul, that he would make this type or he would bring this foreshadow in or he would bring the two together. That what, what Moses chose was to serve God, to reject the pleasures of sin, that which Egypt could give him. And what we're gonna see is Moses is a type of Christ. And um, I think it's amazing because as Jesus, he chose to take the cup, right, in the garden. He sweat blood and he said, not my will, but your will be done. So you can see so many different typologies between Moses and that of Jesus. And so I want to um, connect the life of Moses is an allegory for you today to the life of Jesus. And again, when you read the scriptures in light, in this light, you will see what the church and what the scripture and the theological big word is, is you will see Christophanies, where Christ is appearing all over the place. And you're not just reading Old Testament, a law on pages, and you just skip to the New Testament. And there's whole movements to omit the entire Old Testament. That's why many times you just see New Testament Bibles but you miss the whole purpose of the New Testament because you can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Jesus is the one who teaches the scriptures. Again, on the road to Emmaus, he opens their eyes. He goes to the scriptures, which is the Old Testament, and shows from Genesis all the way forward of where he is. So Exodus 7, 8 through 13, this is an amazing miracle. And it's the miracle of Aaron's rod. I want to show you a few things through this. It says in verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourself, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did just as the Lord commanded. So Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, and before his servants, and it became a serpent. And this is a powerful story as the whole exodus out from bondage, out from slavery begins. And God's gonna show them who he is. And one of the first miracles that before the plagues and uh, that we see here is a picture of what I'm gonna show you of the cross. And all throughout, if you study the, the typology of Moses' staff or of Moses' rod, it all points to a picture of the cross. And what you're going to see is the first miracle taking place here is he's given instructions to cast the rod down. Now let's think about this for a minute. 
before Jesus ever resurrects, he first what? Has to die and be cast down. So the rod is cast down here. It becomes a serpent. And as it becomes a serpent, what does Pharaoh do? Verse 11. And so Pharaoh sees this. And so Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did this in a like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod and they became serpents. Understand this too, when anytime you cling to the cross, you try and you keep your eyes focused of standing in awe of the cross, that is the thing that intimidates the enemy. And smaller serpents, smaller deception will always come to get your eyes off of the rod. So all these other serpents, through enchantments, through sorcery, and you see, you've got to understand something about God, is he will always allow these lesser, non-genuine, non-real things to happen to essentially set the stage to see, you're going to see your God move in power. It's a pattern you see in the scripture. And so all these other serpents come about. They all threw down their rods, but look what Aaron's rod did. In verse 12, Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And the Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord said. This language of swallowing is also very important. So as the rod is cast down, a swallowing of the other serpents take place. Paul uses the same language of swallowing in, in Corinthians where it says death is swallowed up in victory. When you think of when Jesus is put into the tomb, you gotta understand that the enemy, Satan, his goal was if we could just get the son of God on the cross and if we could see his side pierced, the blood leave his body, the water leave his body, we see him dead, I will win. The same is, is pictured here. Is what the enemy sees as his wisdom, God and Christ turns it on its head and says, says, the very thing you tried to get me with is the very thing that will destroy you. Because the one who was put into the tomb, who they thought death could swallow, could not swallow him, and he resurrects. And so the staff is then, would be picked back up as a sign of, of resurrection. And so here, if you see and you understand, and we're gonna get into an, uh, other places where we see this rod used, is the rod is a type of the cross. And if you study the scripture, if you study uh, church history, it, it all points to that, and I'm not giving you anything new here. So when you see the rod, you see a picture of the cross in the Old Testament. And we know that Moses, a feeble, Aaron, Moses and Aaron, feeble, older, weak, enslaved Hebrews, in and of themselves had nothing they could do. But it was their God who could do everything. And the rod, the cross, represented that power. And Pharaoh saw it firsthand, but what it say, his heart grew hard. We could go into then when the plagues would begin, every plague that would start, it would say that Moses would lift his rod and the plagues would start. It's a sign that when you lift the cross, because you've got to understand the plagues were not a sign of all this judgment on the Egyptians, but it was to give them a chance to repent, to expose their idols, to expose their gods, that they're not the one true God. And so every time Moses lifted the cross, lifted the rod, and said, you're going to see who your gods are versus my God. And in when these plagues come, if you will look to him and repent, turn from your ways, change, then you can be saved. And so this is what we got to understand. When we cling to the cross, it never allows your idols to stay comfortable. It brings them to the surface. This is why many of you, if you're fasting this time of year, and you see all this stuff start coming out of you. You see all that gossip start coming out of you. You see all the junk and funk start coming out of you. Your weaknesses, your insecurities. That's a sign that the cross is doing what it's intended to do. To bring it to the surface and to lay it at the altar. 
Many times we think, oh, I'm, I'm screwing up of what I'm talking about when I'm fasting or trying to grow or, or to move in a place of strength and maturity. But stuff has, to, it, when you walk, begin to walk in purity, it's a removing, not an adding to. And the cross's goal is to purify you. And there is, as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it is Christ and him crucified. All over America, all over churches, there are versions and types and models of Jesus that is being preached. And if it's absent of Christ and him crucified, it is not the Christ of the scriptures. If you want a Jesus that, you know, you take the crucifixion side out of, out of it, then you can just kind of massage Jesus into be who you want it to be, who you want him to be. But if it's Christ and him crucified, essentially we're saying that we don't know a Jesus that does not have nail-pierced hands, does not have nail-pierced feet, and has not been pierced in his side. As he sits at the right hand of the Father, those wounds are still present on his body. And so we've got to get Jesus right because if we don't get him right, we get everything else wrong. And so many people get him wrong. And we've got to, we've got to get him right. Not just for your fire insurance to get you into heaven, but for every part of your life. Because he just isn't the, the truth, but he's a way. He's a way of life. Yes. Way truth life. Yes. Many times we just want to grab a, a, a soundbite of who Jesus is as truth. This soundbite gets me to heaven because I understand and agree with salvation. But I never allow the work of sanctification. I never allow the work of truth. I never allow the work of purity. I never allow the work of holiness to come alive and change me and make me image Jesus in every part of my life. And it's a joy to image him. He doesn't force you to image him. But when you get close to the cross, things start dying. But also another place in scripture, when Aaron's rod is put in the tent of testimony, of all the other people's rods, his rod is the one that buds and comes to life. So when you want a testimony of laying your rod down, that is the place and only place that you will bud and bear life. But you first have to be laid down. You first have to... Before you ever get to resurrection, there has to be crucifixion. So we see, and I want to show you real quick in 1 Corinthians 2, about Christ crucified. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Moses and Aaron, in the same understanding, did not come to Pharaoh in excellence of speech and of wisdom. Moses had a stutter. That's why he had Aaron. Paul in the same way, when he goes in front of all of these dignitaries, all of these leaders, when he goes to the Greeks who are as wise as you can come with worldly knowledge and worldly wisdom, he's saying, I'm not coming with any of that, but here's what I am coming with. I'm declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what he's setting up, that this is ultimate wisdom for your life, that without this, you are not wise. Because honestly, what other religion, what other entity deals with death and sin and victory over demons and demonic like Christ does? That this wisdom deals with the death of your body, that you never die, it, it saves your soul. And so, if you understand that how temporary life is, then the most wise thing you can do is tend and care for the soul. So this is what Paul is bringing forth, that here's the answer of what you're looking for that deals with death, that gives you victory over the demonic. Verse three, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling and my speech and my preaching, they were not persuasive words of human wisdom, but in dem demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Is anybody today, do you want the power of God and not the wisdom of men? I think we put so much focus on the wisdom of men and we leave on the, on the sidelines the power of God. And Paul is setting up that this is what true wisdom is. You see, the cross is weak to the eye, but it is powerful in the spirit. It is weak to the eye, but it's powerful in the spirit. We've got to understand this, how powerful when you stand in all of the cross 
that this is the very mechanism, this is the very place that we want to keep our lives on and cling to so that we walk in true wisdom. Not in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. And this is the eternal message of God. Again, Hebrews 1.1, if you want to know what the Father has to say, look at the Son. Look at Jesus. All right, so he, I want to go to Exodus 10. Exodus 14, rather, verse 10. And we're going to go quickly but thoroughly. And um, I pray you just see the person of Christ as we go through this wilderness or this encounter as they part, as God parts the Red Sea through Moses and as God's people see a miracle take place. You ready? Yes. All right, let's go. All right, so when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. What you're gonna see here and understand the deeper meaning of what's taking place and, and the pattern of who your God is, is when you hear the Lord say, don't be afraid, it's a sign that many of us fear our past catching up to us of who we are in Christ. Many of us fear that what we've left behind will eventually catch up to us. And so when you hear the Lord say, don't be afraid, it means he is taking you forward and you go forward in faith, you don't go forward in fear. And I believe this is for somebody in here today that there's something back here, there's an instance, there's a relationship, there's a spirit, there's something generationally that you fear of and you need to hear the Lord to say that as you walk forward in deliverance, there won't be fear of what lies behind you and what you've left behind. This is the kind of fixation we've got to have. So Pharaoh drew near the enemy of God, right? I would fear, I think we all would fear as you see these chariots and these warriors coming and we're trying to get our kids and pull our oxen and, and there's no speed to it. And we're literally trusting in God here. So the Egyptians are marching after them. They were afraid. They cried out, verse 11. And when they said to Moses, so they start to complain here, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? God bless Moses' perseverance and attitude with the moaning, groaning, whining, and complaining. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up and out of Egypt? You know, this is where every, I would say the majority of people, unfortunately, lose their breakthrough and lose their blessing right here. You abort the process of change before you even see Christ begin to work. Moses is trying to give instruction, but you start complaining about it. You have a bad attitude about it, and he can't even get you to where you're wanting to go because, God, have you taken me out here to die? I would rather be enslaved to my bondage, to my poverty, to my, uh, all of this, my past, because it's comfortable versus you getting me out, me having to trust fully in you and taming my tongue in the process. Some of us, another word for you is, I don't care how much you speak in tongues, if you speak evil with this tongue, that doesn't matter. Right? Can we tame our tongues? when God begins to work on us? And can we tame our tongue when God's working on somebody else? How critical and judgmental do we get when someone's in process? Where we as the church should be pulling them along and pushing them along. Because it's beautiful when change begins to take place. And I wanna be a church of that's not us, but we've tamed our tongue, we're mature, and we're seeing God do miracles in the lives of the people that are connected to this community and we encourage and we push one another along. Verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than it would to die in the wilderness. So in verse 13, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid and stand still. So stop being fearful, stop your complaining and just stand still for a moment. Can you just stop and listen, reconnect, get fixed again, plug back in, 
and stop listening to your fear. Stand still. Because there is, is he is the way maker. He's working when we're not. And so this is where you've got to trust the process and got to trust where he's working. Trust his salvaic work. All right, here we're going to see the blessing here. Stand still in what and see the salvation. Walk into your salvation and keep going forward. Again, we need to hear today, keep going. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care you want to give up. Your salvation is that way, not this way. But that way is hard. That way is going to look like a cross. Back there, you can go back to slavery where you get your three square meals a day. But this is where your deliverance is. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. He's a today God. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see no more forever. Man, that's a power. The power of God in one moment can change your forever. Again, this is why we don't treat God's word as mediocre, because this can be your moment today that changes your forever. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more. Hear this, the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. I'm telling you, as you're walking in salvation, there is a peace that you can have, and you can know, and you can walk in, and you can actually hold it and not lose it when all hell breaks against you. Not lose it when life gets tough and life gets messy. Christ never promises this life to be easy, but he promises to be with you through it all. And in him, that's where your peace is held. So if you need a little extra peace today, you've got to keep moving towards your salvation. If you're losing your peace, you're being deceived by the enemy to stay in your mess and to stop changing and stop moving forward in the plans and purposes of God. Verse 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? So there was, there was an, a heartache, a true heartache, I believe, in Moses. And God saw his posture. He saw his heart. And because he kept his heart connected, even in his bitterness and in his pain of what do I do with these people, God heard his heart and gave him wisdom and gave him instruction. So here's what he told them. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But let's see what 16 has to say. But first, lift up your what? Your rod. The what? The rod. We've established the rod is a picture of the cross. We're going to go back to this. And stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. See, many of us, we want to skip that three little word called the rod and get to the miracle we want to get to the power. We want to believe God can do a miracle without ever first lifting up the rod. And I'm telling you, a Jesus that is preached that the rod is not first lifted, but says you can have blessing and wealth and prosperity and everything under the sun, but it is not first centered in the rod being lifted. Moses' hand can do nothing without the rod in his hand. I'm saying this because I love you. And the real gospel, again, Christ and him crucified, always is seen and is understood with the rod, with the cross. So Moses had lifted up his rod, stretched out his hand over the sea, and divided it. I mean, um, um, imagine this. I mean, he, no one's ever seen this before, that he's going to believe that this sea is going to divide, all because the rod is lifted. It says, and the children of Israel, this is amazing, this detail. You can miss it if you read over it quickly. The children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. You see, in your deliverance, God is not just in the business of getting you across, stumbling and fumbling, but he wants to even get the murk that will stop your step from walking smoothly. You see, we think the path of salvation, though it is hard, and the cross is a stumbling block, and it is an offense to those outside, but to us and here who are being saved, it removes the murk and the mire so you can walk forward confidently 
and you don't even have to trip and fall along the way. You don't have to pull your ox, your sacrifice along because it keeps getting stuck in the mud. There becomes a swiftness when you walk the way of the cross. You thankful for dry ground? Verse 16. And the children of Israel, they'll go through this dry ground. And it says, And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and I shall follow them, so I will gain honor over Pharaoh. Verse 18. And over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And here's where we're going to see Jesus. So buckle up. And the angel of God, and you study this, this is a picture of Christ, the angel of God. Who was the angel of God in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Jesus. So here's the angel of God. I know you're reading ahead. Take it off the screen. You're giving away all the good stuff. All right, verse 19. Now the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel, everybody say moved. So we're about to see a move of God. All of us want a move of God. We pray for a move of God. Well, let's see what a move of God looks like. So this angel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud also went from before them and stood behind them. This is powerful. So Jesus, the angel of God, Christ, is moving behind them. So he, in order to move to go behind them, it means that he was in the front and then has to move through the people to then go behind. And what you have to understand of what sustained their strength is their, through their deliverance is the, the angel of the Lord is moving and filling their being. Similar to when God begins to move in your life, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, fills your being with life, with power, and with strength. And so the Lord loves to come close, and this is a picture that as he moves in the point of their deliverance, he moves from the front to the back, and just imagine as the Lord is moving through, he's touching his people, they're sensing his presence, because the presence of the Holy Spirit will feel and look like Jesus. I think this has been a lost picture. We want to see, you know, the sun fall out of the sky or, or these kind of new agey kind of signs, but you've got to understand the presence of God looks like Jesus. And God is moving here. The Lord is moving here in the person of Jesus. So the angel of the Lord moves through them and he goes behind them. And what you're about to see here, again, that which you've left behind and walking forward in your deliverance, when you begin to walk toward the cross, the angel of the Lord will hem up and guard that which is behind you and trying to attack you. I'm telling you what some of you have dropped the process of if you have not allowed him to go from the front and move to the back to protect you and to walk with you. This is how good our God is, how humble he is. Verse 20, so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel and the night passed but there was such darkness and blackness, hear this, they did not come near one another all that night. This is what the protection of your God looks like. That in the darkest of nights, when the fringes of hell are coming up against you, I don't care when you have the move of God in your life, nothing and no one can touch you. This is what life with Jesus looks like. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord carried back the sea by a strong south wind all the night and made the sea dry ground. Again, what an image to see this miracle take place. Thus the waters were divided and so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left hand. 
Then the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the, the midst of the sea. So see, you got to understand, they saw an opportunity. This is where we get them. This is where we get them. But look what the angel of the Lord does. Look what Jesus does. All Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen, as they're being pursued. Now in verse 24, now it came to pass in the morning, watch, the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. See this. Look what the Lord does. Look what Jesus does. He binds the axles of their chariots. Essentially, he removes their tires. Some of them probably chrome, right? He binds the axles of their chariots. He slashes their tires. This is Jesus. This makes me, I could have a belly laugh. So he binds the axles of their chariots, wheels, and calls them to proceed with difficulty. So when you're moving forward on dry ground into your salvation, the Lord is behind you. Nothing can get you. Nothing can touch you that is outside of his hand. Imagine if you were to turn back and watch what the Lord is doing to that which is trying to kill your faith, kill your family, kill your joy, your peace. He will go and bind up the axles of the enemy and cause them difficulty. This is good news. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. I bet they saw that the Lord will fight for them. And it put the fear of God in them. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and the riders. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were trying to flee. But the Lord shook off the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all of Pharaoh's army that came into the sea after them. Not so much of one of them remained, but the children of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. I want you to see something here too about your baptism because you're even seeing a type and a foreshadow of when you get water baptized. When you go into the waters of baptism, there are things that don't come back up with you. When the enemies of God went into these waters, they did not come back up in the same form. When the people of God looked around of what God had just done at this miracle, they did not see powerful chariots and horses and men with spears and weaponry ready to take them. When they looked around, all they saw were a bunch of dead corpse. When you go into the water of your baptism and descend, and when you rise out and you look around, you see death to addiction. You see the corpse of your fear. You see the pain of your past drowned. And all that which has bound you and your addiction and your pain, problem, and peril is now dead as you look around. That's a good place to say amen. And so in seeing what all the Lord is doing here is these types, the pattern of God is unchanging from the old to the new. And when you can see this same God, it puts a love of these scriptures in a place that you can't even fathom because it's all him. He's all there and the same angel of the Lord who moved then is the same Jesus who's moving today. Now here's what I love too, as we just celebrated, that is the very thing the people of God did. They had a song. And it wasn't just Moses who had a song, but his sister Miriam had a song. And they begin to rejoice and they begin to worship. And the thing is, worship is a posture of the heart, but you've gotta understand the reason we Christians sing and people wonder, why do you sing? Why do you worship? Why do you lift your hands? Because we've encountered the one who's changed us. And as a byproduct, we can't be quiet about it. And we want to sing what we believe. And we want to pray what we believe. And so 
immediately as this miracle happened, what's given to us is the Song of Moses. And I want to close with this. Brian Corey, if you'd help me. I want to do all in all. If we could do that, or if there's a song that you feel the Lord leading you in. But as you get into the Song of Moses, I encourage you to read that because you're going to see types of Jesus here as well. But as you look at what a life of a move of God happening in the Spirit, Paul gives language to this in Ephesians 5, 17. So when God moves, when he touches, what is the will and the purpose of God? Look what it says in Ephesians 5, 17. He says, this is the will of God. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The fathers would say to this, it is a sober intoxication. You are soberly intoxicated with him. You are so full of him, but no one at times even knows because it just permeates who you are. They should just see him when they see us. But how much of this is not the case? We are not soberly intoxicated with the Spirit. Speaking to one another, so we're gonna see similar to what was the song of Moses, when we are filled with this power, with the life of Jesus, with the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we speak to one another in psalms, in hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There is a, a song, how sweet the sound, amazing grace, that is just echoing and beating and singing as much as even your heart beats. This should be how close the person of Jesus is that there's a song beating in your heart that overflows to your lips. First Corinthians 10, you see Paul mentioned this encounter of Moses again. First Corinthians 10, one says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses, again, where we see a picture of baptism, what we just read. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So again, the scripture speaks of, of what we see and what we understand. We don't want to be unwise that there is a filling available to us of the person of Jesus. As you stand to me, stand with me. I pray that as you study your Bible, as you study these scriptures, as you talk of these scriptures, that you see the love of your God, you see the power of your God, and you see that he leaves nothing undone. I think so many times we, we see our life so disconnected in so many different places and disjointed, but the Son of God leaves nothing disjointed, nothing disconnected, and can use anything and everything, your worst moments and your best moments, and you can see him in it and through it. But you've gotta allow Jesus to open your eyes. Gotta allow him to fill you. You've gotta follow him and understand at first when your flesh is touched and attacked and pressed, you're gonna to wanna to complain, you're gonna go back to your mess. But if you won't abort the process, you will see he will take the murky mud under your feet and make it dry ground. He will part the waters to your left and to your right. The Son of God will move through you and go behind you. He will go to your enemies he will go to sin, death, and demons and disarm them because he loves you. So I pray today you don't abort the mature process, the healing process, the redeeming process of what Jesus is doing today in you, in your marriage, in your children, in your finances, on all parts of your life. Do not abort 
but move into your salvation and watch what the Lord will do as you stand still. Give him time to work. Give him time to move. It is seed time when the seed goes into the ground. Do not abort the time. Father, with hearts postured toward you, you just bow your head and close your eyes. If you just make it personal between you and Jesus, wherever you need him to move, if you would just begin to posture your heart and begin to make a confession that I'm going to stand still with what you're doing, I'm going to hold my peace because I'm standing still in you, that I'm going to allow you to work and I'm going to participate and work with you because it is for my freedom and it is for my salvation. Jesus, we thank you that as we do this, we're going to look up and see that which bound us, that which kept us addicted, that's, that which caused us pain, that's which was immature, that which was unwise will look like a dead corpse when you're done with it. This is the gospel and this is the good news that is offered to us. We thank you for this declaration of victory every part of our life. That death, sin, and demons is swallowed up in victory. Jesus, we repent of places where we've tried to lift our withered hand on our own and we haven't held the rod, we haven't held the cross repent of our sin we say that as we cleanse our conscience as we cleanse our heart as we cleanse what we've done with our hands it comes through holding on to the cross and never letting it go so we thank you for the power of cross that it is foolishness to those out there but it is the power to those who are being saved in the family of God so Jesus we thank you for what you're doing We surrender to what you're doing. As we continue to worship, allow this word to deepen within us in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.